live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, so a couple weeks ago when we were, uh, when my wife and I were going to Key West, we flew Delta to Milwaukee to Atlanta, then Atlanta into Key West. So I'm sitting around the Milwaukee airport waiting for the, the first leg of the flight out. And a guy comes up to me and says, you probably don't remember me, and introduces himself. Turned out that he went to sixth grade. See, when I was in middle school, it was the last year at least, it was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I was in eighth grade, he was in sixth grade. And and I had to admit, I I didn't remember him. Um, But in my defense, I have trouble remembering my own name from one day to the next. So I I didn't remember. But we had a nice conversation. We We were... in the first year of Glen Hills Middle School in Glendale, it, it just it, it was a brand new school because what happened is back then, if you grew up in the Glendale River Hill School District, they had three elementary schools. Now they only they're down to one, which says something about you know I don't know population or whatever. They had three elementary schools. Now they're down to one, and then they had the middle school used to be seventh and eighth grade, and I went to that one, and then they opened up when I was in eighth grade. Glendale, Glen Hills Middle School, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. So I remember, I still remember when that was a new building. I bring this up because it's sort of in the news. Here's the breaking news story. Now, you will recall that there has been this huge controversy over the last several years, including a campaign issue against Governor Walker, that they had problems with the state facility um, at Lincoln Hills for juvenile offenders, essentially the juvenile lockup. Now, Let's back up a step. In order to get sent to prison in the state, and this is the big lie, for example, of when Tony Evers talks about he wants to legalize marijuana, and he says it's because I don't want people in prison for you know small quantities of marijuana. The big lie, and I think everybody now recognizes it, is regardless of how you feel about legalizing marijuana, that there aren't people in prison simply for possession of small quantities of marijuana. That's just, that's the unicorn. There's nobody there. Now, there might be somebody who, for example, got busted with pot while they were out on parole for armed robbery or sexual assault or something like that. But even that is not very much of an occurrence. You can argue why we should have recreational marijuana legalized, but to defend it on the basis of, well, we've got all sorts of people that are in prison because of it, that that's... That's a big lie. But in any event, you've got to work to get yourself sent to prison. And you've got to work to get yourself sent to a a juvenile custodial facility like Lincoln Hills. It is one of the reasons that I have been somewhat sympathetic to some of the, the guards and the people that have to work in this facility because you're really, if you're there, if you've gotten sent there, you got problems. Now, again, I understand you've got a juvenile and you say, well, you know, maybe we can rehabilitate these kids and maybe you can. But, you know, you're talking about, for example, the prison guards that are dealing with very, very dangerous people. 
And yeah, I understand they might only be 15 or 16 years old, but by and large, these are dangerous people that you have to be around. So anyhow, there has been this outrage about, well, we've got to close down Lincoln Hills. And the issue has always been, fine, you close down Lincoln Hills. And you, you start going to more of like these regional lockups. And, and that's great. And I think you can make a, a, a stronger idea that if you've got some 16-year-old armed robber from, um, uh, from Milwaukee, rather than sending him up, you know, up north, it makes more sense to have him closer to the extent that there are family members who want to visit him. They, they can do it easier. But the issue always becomes, where are you going to put them? Where are you going to put the lockup for these very, very dangerous juveniles? And what community is going to want them? Well, there's an announcement today. They have decided that they are going to, there's going to be a couple local lockups that are going to be around. But the news today is they are going to build lockups for these dangerous juvenile offenders, one in Outagamie County and one in Milwaukee. All right. Where in Milwaukee? Well, Turns out they are going to build the facility at Tetonia Avenue and Mill Road, hmm. which is, well, I guess it's still, it, that's the city of Milwaukee, but it's very close to the Glendale border. But what it's also close to is it's probably a few blocks away from my old middle school, Glen Hills Middle School. So I, I guess now, now if you want to take a field trip and you want to go see the juvenile lockup, all you're going to have to do is just walk a couple blocks. So I don't know who made that decision. They're going to build it at Tetonia Avenue and Mill Road. My guess is all the people that live in what are a couple nice areas of Glendale immediately to the east of that, I don't know if they were consulted, don't know how they feel, don't know how the people at Glen Hills Middle School feel about having the, the juvenile lockup for dangerous juveniles from Milwaukee a couple blocks from their facility. And I understand it, it's a problem because nobody, I don't think, is going to want a juvenile prison in their neighborhood. But uh, this particular location, like I say, caught my attention because it's kind of right by where I went to middle school. So we'll see what the progressively educated mayor of Glendale feels about all this as well. But that's the breaking news. If you're wondering where they're going to put the dangerous people in southeastern Wisconsin, it's going to be not quite in the shadow, but pretty darn close to where I went to middle school. Hmm. The times, they are a-changing. When we come back, a controversy involving left lane laggards. If you want to see, actually, the story, a link to the story about where they're going to build the juvenile facility and also a link to the story about what we're going to be talking about next about the left lane slowpokes, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons is one of the most recognizable classic works, and this weekend the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra will be performing the Four Seasons, featuring four MSO violin soloists, each taking turns as the leader for one of the seasons. The concert's taking place at the Basilica of St. Josephat this weekend. I'm going to be giving away a free pair of tickets all week long. Stay tuned to the show for your chance to win a pair of tickets to this breathtaking space filled with beautiful murals and moving classical music in one of only a handful of recognized basilicas in the united states today we'll be giving the uh, tickets away during the one o'clock hour of the show okay here's here's the deal and there's lots of theories that go in with this 
in Wisconsin, the way the law works is you can you can drive as long as you are driving the speed limit. You can drive in either the left lane or the right lane, let's say of a two-lane highway, as long as you're driving the speed limit. Now, you might see signs that say slower traffic, keep right, but that is, from a legal perspective, that is a suggestion. As long as you're driving the speed limit, you're, you're okay. So if you decide, I want to park myself in the left lane, and I want to, let's say the speed limit's 55 miles an hour, I want to park myself in the left lane of those two lanes, and I want to drive 55 miles an hour, doesn't matter if everybody wants to pass me. As long as you're going the speed limit, you're legally okay in the state of Wisconsin. Not so in the state of Indiana. In 2015, Indiana changed the law. And the state law now requires drivers to move to the right lane to allow faster traffic to pass. Now, obviously, if you can't safely do that or there's heavy congestion, okay, then it's a different story and there are exceptions. But in Indiana, faster drivers have the right of way in the left lane. Hanging out in the left lane and there's no traffic to the right, you're not supposed to be in that lane. All right? That's the rule. Essentially, left lane for passing, right lane for driving. Obviously, if you can't get back to the right lane because of congestion or whatever, that's fine. But just driving around, hum, 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 55 miles an hour in the left lane, you can get a ticket. Well, Indiana believing that this is one of the causes of reckless driving. That is, people then trying to pass these folks, then they end up having to pass the folks on the right and weave in and out of traffic. In addition, Indiana believes that this is a cause of road rage. You know, people get bottled up, they're trying to pass, and you've got somebody that's kind of puttering along at the speed limit, but puttering along nonetheless in the left lane. They believe it is a cause of road rage. So Indiana has started issuing tickets for people who are left lane laggers. They issued, let's see, 87 tickets in 2017. They issued 132 tickets in 2018, and they also gave over a 1,000 warnings. So the first thing they've started to do is warn people. you got to get out of that. But they are saying we are going to become more aggressive in enforcing this rule that says you pass on the left, you drive on the right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, this is, from a legal perspective, it is essentially a suggestion in, in Wisconsin. Because as long as you are driving the speed limit, there is no left lane lagger rule per se. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this good public policy? Is it a good idea to say to people, Drive on the left, you pass on the left, you drive on the right, and get over to the right, again, whenever you can, as opposed to puttering around. The flip side of the argument would be, hey, you're driving the speed limit, the speed limit is 55, you should be able to do that in either the left lane or the right lane, you're going the speed limit, why should you have to get out of the way for somebody who wants to speed? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know we're going to have a fascinating discussion on this, and I will tell you where I come down on this in just a moment. If you're on the line, please. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 
414-799-1620. Let's start with Christine in Cedarburg. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, Indiana is starting to enforce the law saying, hey, you, you pass on the left, you drive on the right as a general rule. What do you think? I think that's great. You know, we drive from Chicago to Cedarburg on a weekly basis, and it's almost like an ego trip. There's people who are in the left lane that I'm like, I'm not going any faster. I'm going to stay here. I'm going 65 or I'm going 70. And you've got semis backing up. And, you know, if somebody stops quick, there's a major accident. So I have no idea why people just don't move over. If people are on your rear, move over. And then you can speed up or, or drive the way you want to drive. Well, what about the argument that, hey, it, it's my roads, and as long as I'm moving the speed limit, you know, why should I get out of the way for somebody who wants to drive too fast? You know, it's such a shame because that, that to me it's just this ego all over it. And, and the, for a semi or, a, a, you know, somebody hauling a trailer or trying to get somewhere, it, it, it's their life. I mean, if, if, if that's what they want to do and there's an accident, you know, you, you can just look in your rearview mirror and see the people stacking up and stacking up because you've got grandma or somebody from another country or somebody talking on the phone. They're not moving over. Just move over. It's safe. Why do you drive back and forth to sh- from Chicago to Cedarburg every week? <laughs> Jobs, okay, got yeah, and, and you know, honestly, for recreation, because Cedarburg and Milwaukee is such a great town. Okay, so just, yeah, we have a farm in Illinois, and then we have a house in Cedarburg. It's just you guys are great, the people are great, everything is wonderful up in Wisconsin. Just get the heck out of the left lane. Move it. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right, thanks for the call. 414 799 1620. Kevin from Germantown text, I totally agree with Indiana. I was just thinking about this the other day. And yes, Jeff, it does cause road rage. You are exactly right. Um, here's another text. Jeff, we experienced this type of law when driving in Italy a couple years ago. It worked really well. We remarked that we wished that they would do this in the United States. Another text. Well, we definitely need to do what Indiana passed. I drive 70,000 miles a year doing outside sales. You would not believe how rude people are slowing down traffic and just staying in the left lane, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Twin Lakes. Tom, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm a law enforcement officer, and I think it's a great law. I was always taught growing up that, you know, use the left lane for passing and the right lane for maintaining the travel. And it's just so ridiculous nowadays when you do a traffic stop on somebody and they pull over on the left side when have we ever taught to pull over on the left side yeah i think if we can enforce this and do the same thing indiana's doing um you know pull over on the right side um passing on the left unless it's heavy traffic right it's definitely an accident causer you got that guy doing 55 60 in the left lane people are behind them usually you're tailgating that person unfortunately right and you're looking to pass on the right you're looking for the opportunity to swerve onto the right and get around them because you want to get around them absolutely so i think it's going to be a good law if they do pass it and for all the listeners out there please if you get stopped pull over on the right side <laughs> right and always yield to emergency lights and traffic right. hopefully and, they're on your right side right and, and thanks for, and be polite be polite. Pull out your driver's license. Give the driver's license. Give, give your proof of insurance. Police are just trying to do their job as well. 414-799-1620. See, I agree with this completely. I, I think that, again, now you, you have to, and the law has exceptions. They, if, if you can't get over, then you don't have to get over. If there's heavy congestion and things like that. But that's not the scenario this is talking about. This is the, talking about the scenario of the person cruising at 55 at the speed limit, 
um, in the left lane who's decided, I want to drive there and I'm going to take pleasure in trying to tie up all sorts of traffic. I think it, I think it, it does contribute to road rage. Mike in Menominee mm-hmm. Falls. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Hi, Mike. I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I uh, firsthand have uh, experience with this law because probably about a, maybe 10 years ago or so, um, my son had an internship in Vermont, and uh, we took a road trip out to visit him, and, and he let me know without a doubt that uh, that's the law there and you should follow it, and it really works well. Uh, I was a little hesitant at first about, uh, you know, that. Right. But then when I saw actually it in, in practice, and it took very, it was very quick to uh, get used to doing that. And uh, boy, the flow of traffic just improved greatly. And granted that, you know, there probably wasn't as much traffic in Vermont as there is in Wisconsin. Uh, but there were times where there was heavy traffic and it, it made a big difference. I, I think it's a, a great law. Yes, yeah, and I agree. And look, and I, I mean, some people would argue, well, why should you have to get out of the way to let people speed? Well, okay, you're, you're not. If you're a, you're a driver, you're not a traffic cop, and you know if if the police believe that somebody's driving too fast for conditions or whatever in the left lane, they can pull the person over, they can give them a ticket or whatever. It's not your job to say, okay, I'm going to try to see how long, how far I can back up traffic on a two lane highway. Get out of the way. If somebody's driving irresponsibly, well, the, the cops will handle that. That's the way it works. Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for calling. No, I, I appreciate it. A lot of people weighing in. I would say, I would say, you know, 80 to 90% of people think that this is a good law. Like I say, in Wisconsin, it is a suggestion. Indiana passed it in 2015, but now they're starting to aggressively enforce it. I would be all in favor of this. If you want to read more about it, I did, I do have a link to the story and some of the crackdown that's going on in Indiana. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Got a link to it. I'm saying just get out of the way. I mean, hopefully, I don't think you should need the police to tell you this. I don't know that it needs to be a law, but the law seems to be working pretty darn well. So glad to have you with us. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, last doc. Let me back up here. Boeing has a new line of aircrafts, and Boeing is an incredibly successful aircraft manufacturer. Their new line of planes, and the Boeing 737 has been in the air forever, and they keep coming out with new generations of planes. The new, the newest Boeing planes, it's called the 737 Max is what this is and it's very very fuel efficient airlines like it because again it's fuel efficient Um, airlines that buy this they do it to compete with like what they call the airbuses and all so it's and Boeing by the way has a very very good track record when it comes to safety so this is this is the new plane that Boeing is selling Right now, they have orders for like 450 of these planes um, at, worldwide. The, in the United States, Southwest, currently in its fleet, has 34 of these Boeing 737 MAX 8s. They've got another 34 on order that are supposed to be delivered by the end of the year. American, to give you a perspective, American has about 1,000 airplanes. 24 are the Boeing 737 um, MAX 8s. United 
has four of the Boeing Max 9s. And I'm, I, I honestly don't know the difference between the Max 8 and Max 9. I assume that they're, they're kind of similar. All right, so, but th- this is this is the new plane that Boeing is manufacturing. All right, last October, there was a, a flight, an Indonesian Lion Air flight that plunged into the Java Sea shortly after takeoff from Indonesia, killing all 189 passengers. Investigators say what happened is that there was a a faulty sensor in connection with the autopilot feature that pointed the plane's nose down while pilots struggled to lift the plane up. Um, Apparently, it's a new autopilot program, and what happened is that... Um, there was somewhat of a there was a software glitch or something, so that as the the, the autopilot thing was forcing the plane down, when the pilots tried to take it off, it, it didn't work. There was some question about did the pilots know how to do this, and the plane ends up crashing. All right, that was in October, and this was attributed to again it's the software glitch coupled with essentially pilot error that the pilots didn't know how to do this. Well, on Sunday, you had the same airplane different airline and i think everybody's familiar with the story it's the the max 8 um leaving a flight to nairobi and what ends up happening is six minutes in the plane nose dives into a field the same sort of flight path as happened with the october lion air crash 157 people killed on on this one uh they don't they have the black boxes which are the computer records from the plane, but so far they haven't made those those things public. But they, they can tell from the flight path that this was a flight that there was trouble from the beginning. The plane was doing what they call porpoising, which is like if you ever watch the old flipper TV show, you know, porpoises go up and down in the water. The, the plane, apparently, the nose would go up, the nose would go down. I don't think it ever got over a 1,000 feet, and then it nose dives into, into the field. There are clearly similarities in these two crashes within four months of each other. Well, what's happened is a number of countries across the world have ordered these planes to be grounded. China did it, for example. Most airlines in Europe, most countries in Europe, have not announced the grounding of this plane, at least you know for the time being, except today, the United Kingdom, Great Britain said, nope, we're we're not going to allow these planes to operate in our airspace pending a, a review of this black box. We want to know if these planes are safe. So far, in the United States, there there has been no effort to ground these planes. Um, the way it works in the U.S. is there has to be a clear mechanical issue or a safety concern um, and so far, they, they've said that they, they don't have a basis for that. You have a couple senators, um, Diane Feinstein being one of them, who are saying, hey, we, we think that we should require these planes to be grounded until there's a complete investigation of what happened on Sunday to see is there a fundamental problem, what's going on. Two of the same types of planes that are essentially new planes, they shouldn't be crashing, falling out of the sky in this pattern over the last four months. The way it works is airlines, and we went over this briefly yesterday, airlines 
don't know what particular plane is going to be used on a given flight until 24 to 48 hours before the flight. So if, for example, you were going to Phoenix next Tuesday because you want to see some spring training games or whatever, and you're booked on Southwest, you couldn't call Southwest today and say, hey, I'm kind of curious what plane are you going to be using because they won't know. In addition, um, while airlines have different policies for rebooking things and things like that, at least as it stands now, most of the airlines aren't saying, well, if it turns out that you're flying a 737 MAX 8, you know, we're, we're going to just uh, allow you with no problem to, to change your, your tickets. So you have all this stuff that's going on now. And obviously, I know there's a number of people who are white-knuckle flyers. When we talked about this yesterday, as the story was breaking, and this is before the United Kingdom said they were going to order these planes grounded, took calls from some people who were just saying, hey, we're white-knuckle flyers to begin with, and there's no way that we're getting on one of these planes. If it turns out we get to the airport and it turns out it's one of these planes, we're not jumping on it, period. We're concerned. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about now the larger point. Given the fact that Great Britain, the United Kingdom, has now announced that they're grounding these planes as well, pending the outcome of an investigation, should the FAA move in? Should this particular type of plane be flying right now until we know for certain what it is that caused the second apparently similar sort of crash in four months. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The airlines aren't going to take these planes out of commission, but should the government step in? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you feel safer if you knew that, hey, I'm getting on a flight next week, I'm worried about whether or not it's going to be one of these planes. Would you feel safer if the FAA simply said, until we know for sure why the second crash occurred, boom, people aren't going to have to worry about it. Stick around. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Heard that spot for the e-bikes? I, I, I want to tell you, I love my e-bike. I got it at Wheel and Sprocket. And one of the things I've been so anxious for spring to come is our, our e-bikes. Friends of mine, they've been hanging on, on them. They're mounted in the dry, in the uh, garage. So every day when I go out to get in the car, I see these bikes that are there. And I cannot wait for spring to get here. I love these e-bikes. It's a way for those of us who, well, are maybe perhaps a little bit older than... Others, it's a way that we can continue to bike and have a lot of fun. These e-bikes are a blast. I see Wheel and Sprocket's got the event. All right, 414-799-1620. John and Racine. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jeff. Um, I'm flying on Southwest tomorrow. Okay. Out to Vegas, and I fly often on Southwest. And today I got a message which I hadn't ever received before that, and it was in red. (laughs) <laughs> that, I, my flight, that gets your that gets your attention when it's in red, yeah. yeah. And it was I could change my flight for no pro, no charge. Um, well, my thought is there's no way I'm going to change my flight. Right. If the if the crew wasn't confident that they were going to make it, they wouldn't be getting on the plane. Right. And I trust that in the United States, the maintenance that we do on these aircraft, 
I'm very comfortable flying. Did, did, I just did, hope that they don't yank it. Well, did your note say that it was going to be one of these 737 MAX 8s? Is that the, did they tell you that, that that's the plane no, you're on? No, it didn't say that. Huh. But I've flown out to Vegas on a 737 MAX 8 before. Okay. Right. Southwest has those, and because it's a nonstop flight, I think they like using the fuel economy right. version of that plane. Um, so I'm anticipating it will be, but it doesn't bother me. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that Southwest and, and American, which are the two f- planes, the, the two uh, carriers that use these, that they say, look, we we believe these are safe. We've we've used this for thousands of flights. Of, of flights, it's not like that. This is an right. untested thing. They say we've analyzed data from thousands of flights, and we find no reason to. No reason to ground them, and so you're 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 not worried at all, huh? Not at all. And when you look at even worldwide, how many flights all this version of the plane has taken? Yes, there were two tragic incidents, but that's a very minute percentage out of all the flights that have successfully taken off and landed. Okay, well, let me ask you the flip side, though. I was I was just pulling up the most recent numbers given. The decision now by the United Kingdom, and somebody just sent me a text saying that Germany is now, within the last hour or so, decided to do the same thing. All in all, more than half of the 737 MAX 8 aircraft have now been pulled from use. Do you think that's an overreaction? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And you can even go back to Boeing. I mean, this is a a time-tested, well-respected company. If they thought there was a serious problem right away, they'd be putting on an advisory saying yank these planes. Right, because I mean, this is a nightmare for Boeing. I mean, just yeah. I mean, it's just a, yeah. Stock. yeah, yeah, Which okay. Hold, and I'm not happy about that. <laughs> right, no, no, no. I understand. Okay, thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, would. Do you think the FAA should join with what happened in the United Kingdom? And again, somebody just texted me, said Germany, um, China, a number of other countries, and simply say, until we get to the bottom of this, this particular plane cannot fly. Now, that doesn't mean that Southwest has to ground all its flights. Southwest right now has 34 planes. American has 24. American has a 1,000 airlines and its overall, airplanes and its overall fleet. I, I don't know how many Southwest has, but Southwest is a major carrier. So it doesn't mean you'd have to cancel all the flights, but it does mean you probably have to cancel some of them. 414-799-1620. Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for talking about the topic again. We talked yesterday a little bit about this. I guess I just want to give you a perspective. Uh, I'm an airline pilot for a major airline, and I'm a tech airman as well as a simulator instructor. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, while I don't operate the 737, I operate the Airbus fleet of aircraft. The aircraft are very, very similar in the sense that they all have electronic engine control and have a lot of the same types of systems in, in terms of the primary flight controls. And I guess all I would say is I want to echo your previous caller because I think he made some outstanding points. Number one, our, whether you like unions or not, um, our unions are very, very strong, and our pilots and our flight attendants are very competent, and we go through a lot of training. And I promise you, as a father of three children, I'm not going to get on board an aircraft that I think for a moment has has a major issue. And our unions are very, very powerful. ALPA uh, International, mm-hmm. which represents us, very, very good at, at getting down with the manufacturers of Airbus and Boeing and nitpicking tiny little problems and well scott let me let me ask you this okay and again 
I, I, I'm not putting you on the spot as an expert, but what do you think happened? Two, two plane crashes of a particular type of plane within four months with the same sort of, you know, impact pattern. I mean, what do you think caused this? Do you right, have a theory? So, right. So I don't know the exact details of both situations yet. It, it appears, obviously, that both situations had, had flight control issues, and that bothers me. I'm not going to lie to you. That bothers me. But I do think there needs to be an investigation into it. Like your previous caller stated, you know, these aircraft here in the United States, Southwest, got a lot of friends that fly, and they're doing seven, eight cycles a day of, of perfectly good flights. I, I, and we haven't had an incident like that here. Um, I do think there needs to be an investigation. And a lot of these types of things, believe it or not, I know you don't want to hear them as consumers, but they do come down to software updates because – all these control modules now are all electronic, and I know Boeing's working on one that's supposed to be coming out. I do want to say one thing with respect to your specific question. Man, I am not Monday morning quarterbacking any pilot, especially one who laid down their life in an attempt to save an aircraft. Mm-hmm. But what I will tell you is what I tell all my friends and family that are traveling overseas. Stay on American carriers. Our pilot training, our flight attendant training, our FAA security directives are so much better than that of foreign carriers. And all I will say is I used to do a lot of the ab initio programs for Ethiopian, for Saudia, for Emirates, teaching these uh, young men, uh, mostly young men, but even some young men and women. They return to their country many of times to fly right seat in these big, sophisticated aircraft with 250 flight hours. And... What that means to you and I, a monkey can fly an airplane. There's no question about it. And you, we all know that. But what a but what a low time, unexperienced or inexperienced pilot can't do is we kind of look at it like this. When you go through training, we train you to operate in this box, and we train you really, really well to operate inside that box. The problem is, is one in a million, you you get outside, outside that, that box, box, and how do you react? How you respond to that all comes down to your experience. Where a typical uh, first officer entering in at Southwest, Spirit, uh, JetBlue, American, United, has five to 7,000 hours. I think the initial reports are coming out. I believe, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, the initial reports, the first officer had 250 flight hours. Yeah, I got to check on that. Scott, I'm sorry, I got to let you go because I'm kind of up against the clock, but I do appreciate the input. And I guess I, this is, I, I mean, and I, I appreciate what you're saying. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to blame the pilots. It, it does sound like, it does sound like they were presented with an extraordinary situation and didn't know how to adapt to it. Now, the question becomes, what, why did that extraordinary situation happen? Adam and Mequon sends me a text. I've got a flight on Southwest in two weeks. My wife is freaking out. Well, I, I think I might have mentioned this yesterday. I'm, next week, um, we're, we're going on a flight, uh, Fran and I, and... Um, yeah, it, it, it we're, we're going to get on that flight, and it's not going to – I agree. I mean, I think it's a safe airplane. I think these are going to turn out to be anomalies. But at the same time, if it turns out – if we get to the airport and it turns out that this is one of these 737 um, MAX 8 Boeing jobs that we're on for our particular flight, which it sounds like it may well be, given where we're going, I don't know. I think 
I think maybe we're going to need to get a couple of those extra glasses of Chardonnay for my beautiful wife. That's all I'm saying there. I'm still going on the trip. But I, I do think this is something that they need to get to the bottom of aggressively and figure out, is there a problem with these planes or not? At this point in time, I, I don't know that there's a basis to ground them, but I sure understand why people are a bit uncomfortable. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, before you went to college, did you take the LSAT, not the LSAT, the SAT or the ACT, do you remember? I think I took both. You took both? I believe I took both. Okay. Do you take standardized tests well? Did you do well? Absolutely not. Okay. I did horrible. Okay. All right. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, SAT, uh, you had the ACT. Do you take those kind of tests well? You were fine. Anything that's timed, I get really nervous, and I just, I can't complete them. Interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't do well. Interesting. See, now, I am I am the opposite. Um, the... I take those kind of tests really. Do. Re- I, mm-hmm. I I do, and this, this is it's just there, there's all sorts of things that I don't do well, and I think you can make a strong argument. I don't know is the SAT or the ACT, or if you want to go to law school, the LSAT. Is it a good predictor of how you're going to succeed? That's a different story. But I take those tests well, and I can always remember. The LSAT, the LSAT is what you have to take to get into law school. And I, I very, very much wanted to be a, a lawyer. And I can remember, I mean, I would get, I mean, I went to the point that I take those self-tests that they had, and then I would correct them. And I'd actually, when I actually took the LSAT, I would see questions that were very similar to the ones that were in the practice uh-huh. things. And I remember I got them wrong in the practice thing. So I, I said, okay, I understand what they're looking for. Well, anyways, long story short, they, they've changed the scoring system now. I, I don't even know what it is. But back when I took it, back, 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 back way in the day. Way back in the day. <laughs> way back in the day. The, it, it was, it was always weird because normally you would think that like like stuff would be scored on like a a hundred point basis or mm-hmm. a thousand point basis or something. No, the top score back in the day, and it, I don't want to be corrected, but this is my recollection, was like seven eighty. That would be that's a perfect score. Now why seven eighty? God only knows. But it was seven eighty. All right, and I always remember. I'll never. I, I so I, I took. I was away at college. I took the test, and then they sent the results to to your house in in, in this case in Milwaukee, and I, I had this conversation with my late. Mom mom she calls me up and she said i've i've got the i've got the your your lsat results you know and did there. you ever open them up oh yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well and this is the funny story because i i have her open them up and i can hear that she's just she thinks you did really bad she's right? like oh <laughs> you know i mean no, i i could I, so just, I, I remember this yeah. <laughs> you know and she's like kind of like fighting back tears and i said mom that that's okay you know what what, what is it she said well you you had you had a, a 730. <laughs> no, and, and you're going, what? Well, well right. And, and, and I, I could be slightly off the numbers. I mean, but, you know, but it was but it was like that. Something I was, like I was that, over. Yeah. It was like I said, Mom, the, the scale is 780. My guess is that's like the top. That, that's the top two or three percent of, of people taking the LSAT. That's I, it's a really good score. Oh. It's on a seven eighty, and then she was immediately that's cute okay. about your mom. Well, oh. it, it was no, it <laughs> that's wasn't a good story. because she was just that. But I mean, I, again, I, I just point that out because I remember I, again. Oh, th- does, is it any sort of indicator? No, but I happen to take those kind of tests well. There's other stuff academically that I don't do necessarily you know that well. And some of those tests, I wish they would do them differently because I am awful with time things because I get nervous and I overthink everything. And then the math, I was never good. At 
at math, but I mean, those right. took just oh, took so much time, <laughs> brain time of right. me thinking. And then I would look at the clock and I had two minutes left. And, you know, so yeah, it was a vicious cycle for me. But well, that doesn't make you not smart, though. And I want to say that, too, for people out there that, you know, oh, yeah. still think that. Oh, oh no, it's, it's just yeah, how you take those tests. Exactly. Like, that's why I said that the lead in my mind just there, there's look, there's yeah. all sorts of stuff I can't process. I'm horrible with foreign languages. I, I mean, one of. One of my goals when I retire and stuff, I, I want to try to take up foreign languages. I've tried that before, and I failed miserably. My mind does not work that way. So I, I have the greatest respect. One of my brothers-in-law, Franz, he's now he's not from the United States. He speaks seven or eight languages oh, fluently. That's amazing. I mean, fluently. Yeah. I, my mind just doesn't operate that way. So, yeah, just because you can sit down and take a standardized test doesn't make you particularly sure. smart. But I, I, I do remember that. But if you did not do well, we now know what the problem is, Melissa. The problem is your parents didn't pony up $500,000 to have oh, somebody it. come in and correct your SAT test after you took it. What was I thinking? What were you thinking? So, you know, you shouldn't be upset with yourself. You should be upset with mom and dad because mom and dad didn't pony up the big dough to make sure you got that big number to get mm. you wherever you wanted to get. That is the interesting story, and that's where we're going to pick it up in just a moment. A major indictment today, including some of the Hollywood elite that have gotten caught up in this. I want to tell you a little bit about it, what exactly they are alleged to have done, and then we're going to talk about whether or not this is a big deal or not. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I sent out on, on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I sent out a link to this to this story that goes into more detail than I'm going to go into it on, on the radio. But this is a huge story that's out there. Um, as we were talking about, as Melissa and I were talking about just a couple minutes ago, you know, if, if you've if you've gone on to higher education, you know, if you've gone to college or law school or medical school or whatever, you know that. One of the things that when they're deciding what college you can get into, it's really a function of, of a couple things, but primarily it's a, it's a function of your grades in high school, and it's a function of your score on a standardized admission test. For a college, it's the ACT or it's the um, SAT. I think they use the ACT more. When I was younger, the SAT was used more. And then if you want to go on, again, to like law school, you have to take the LSAT, and they look at, okay, what's your undergraduate grade point average or class rank or whatever, and then you look at the LSAT score, and, and that tells you where you know, most of the people are, are going to get admitted. If you have really, really, a really low grade point average and a really crummy LSAT score, well, your, your chances of getting into some of the best law schools are, are not that good. And the same thing is true to colleges. There's an indictment that came out today, and I have the indictment in my hands, so you do not have to read it because I will. But what it essentially alleges is that over the period of about six or seven years, there was a massive scam going on to get people who would otherwise not qualify for admission to certain colleges to get them into the colleges. And some of the colleges, the universities that are involved, let me just see, pull up page three of the indictment here, the um, places like uh, USC, UCLA, Georgetown, Stanford, University of San Diego, 
University of Texas at Austin, Yale University, Wake Forest University. So those are the universities that were involved. What this indictment alleges is that you had a number of wealthy people, like about 50 really rich people, and what they would do is they would they would pay essentially bribes to the, this college placement outfit. And what the college placement outfit would do is they would get the kids of the rich people into schools that they perhaps otherwise wouldn't have qualified for. For example, one of the out, one of the scams that would happen is you pay money to this particular place and they would arrange, get this, to have your kids SAT or ACT score corrected. <laughs> you know, so like but before and and the indictment explains kind of how this all happened, but you'd pay off people and what they would do is so let's say I take I take the test and I don't know, let's let's say it's on a hundred point scale. It's not, but I, I score a sixty. Well somebody would come in and they would quote unquote correct my answers before the thing got posted. So instead of getting a sixty I had a ninety. Oh, well that that's good. There was other things that they would do is some of the these people that would be bribed, they would make arrangements to have other people take the test for your kid. You know, so the kid shows up instead of Gru having to take the SAT um, Mr. X shows up and takes the SAT for Gru, and all of a sudden he, he does well. One of the other aspects of the scam, and, and this, this you want to talk about how convoluted this is, what they did is apparently they had a number of people on their payroll who were athletic coaches for some of the lower sports. Now, I'm not talking about football or basketball, but, but things like crew. No offense to anybody who's road crew. And what they would do is they'd say, okay, we want, um, let's say you've got a daughter that wants to go to USC. And um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay $25,000 to this outfit that will then bribe the crew coach at USC. And what the crew coach will do is he will create a profile for your daughter that's completely phony saying she rose crew. And say, look, I, I don't want to give her a scholarship, but, you know, she'll get admitted because, you know, she's got this profile that says that she's going to be great rowing crew and the crew coach wants her. Well, OK, she comes to USC. She never rows crew or anything, but she's gotten in because, you know, she was recruited as an athlete. So it, it, it's a little more complicated, but that's essentially it. Here's how the Washington Post describes this. The Justice Department on Tuesday charged various wealthy people, including two television stars, we'll get to that in just a minute, with being a part of a long-running scheme to bribe and cheat to get their kids into big-name colleges and universities. The alleged crimes include cheating on entrance exams, as well as bribing college officials to say certain students were coming to compete on athletic teams when those students were were not, in fact, athletes. Among those charged are actress Felicity Hoffman, best known for her role on the television show Desperate Housewives. She's actually, she's also, she's married to Bill Macy, who's the guy in Fargo, who's the star of the movie Fargo, and who's in Shameless. That's, that's probably right now, if you watch that. And Lori Laughlin, who appeared on Full House. Authorities say the crimes base back to 2011. All right, um, here's what they say. Hoffman, 
that would be Felicity Hoffman, is accused of paying $15,000 to key worldwide foundations so her oldest daughter could participate in the scam. Um, Hoffman apparently could arrange for a third party to correct her daughter's answers on the SAT after she took it. She ended up scoring 400 points higher than she had gotten on a similar test taken a year ago. All right, um, this Lori Laughlin, the, the gal who was on Full House, her and her husband, fashion designer Massimo Giannulli, were accused of paying $500,000 in bribes. So their two daughters would be designated as recruits for the USC crew team, even though they were not part of the team. That helped the pair get into USC, according to the complaint. Um, some of the money was directed to a USC athletics official. So you, you get the idea how the, this thing worked. And they're looking at tens of millions of dollars in bribes that were paid by all these wealthy families to try to get their kids into school. All right, now this raises, I think, a number of issues. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question to you. How big a deal is this? Should we care? that rich people are now i understand why the college why the university cares if they have some employee who's who's on the take and is falsifying records so making it look like a couple gals are are going to come and row on the crew team when they're not really part of that i mean i understand why the university of southern california would be, feel that they were defrauded by this because here you've got this guy that's doing all this falsification All right. Um, But I guess big picture, how upset should we be about this? Is this is this a victimless crime? Do you fault the parents? I mean, hey, the parents want the best for their for their kids that they can possibly get. And so, you know, some parent thinks, hey, I got to get my kid into Yale. Because, you know, if he's got that Yale degree, then it's going to open all sorts of doors for him. So. So I'm paying this money to get the kid into Yale. Should we care about that? Or is that just a motivated parent who's trying to do the best they possibly can for their kid? How big a deal is this? How offended by this are you? And for the people who took the bribes and who paid the bribes, should they be going to prison? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. Let's start with Mike in Madison. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, is this a big deal or is this just a victimless crime? You got rich people who, all right, they're manipulating the system to get their kids into schools, but should anybody care about this? It is definitely not a victimless crime because for every student that gets in there because of whatever privilege or bribe or anything like that, that can prevent a different student to get into that particular school, thus forcing that other student to have to go someplace else or maybe even out of state and have to pay out-of-state tuition, for example. So whether it's this issue or even with illegals being able to allow to go to school, um, 
any time that something is somebody's given an opportunity, it takes away the opportunity from somebody else, and it costs somebody else more money and, and problems. What do you think it says about the parents that they're so desperate to get their kid into UCLA or USC or University of Texas or whatever that they're they're willing to pay half a million dollars, essentially in bribes, to get the kids does it? Does, does that show some out of control parents in addition to parents that have too much money? Uh, quite frankly, I kind of think it's somewhat, not the bride part, but the somewhat normal parenting. I think parents of all economic aspects will do whatever they can to get their kid in college. Maybe it's their kid trying to play a club volleyball and kind of yelling at the coach to get their kid more time playing so there's a better chance for scholarships or something like that. So I think it's normal parenting trying to do whatever you can to give your kid a leg up over somebody else. Right, and but crossing the line. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620, Renee in Waukesha. Renee, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Renee. Um, no, I don't believe this is a victimless crime. As far as going to prison, that may be a little stretching it, but, you know, they're taking away spots from kids that actually earned the right to go to that school and didn't have mommy and daddy pay them off. Right. Well, no, exactly. I mean, there there's a limited number of spots, so some kids have qualified. They, they would not obviously have made it if they had to depend on their own, for example, SAT scores. So now they're in because mommy and daddy paid somebody who took the test for them or adjusted it. All right. The you pen- know, Jeff, yeah. Jeff, just one thing real quick. You asked Mike um, something about... What does that say about the parents? Right. Yeah, I agree that every parent wants their kids to get into school and stuff. But to me, that type of parenting is not a good way of parenting. Well, no, thanks for calling. Well, no, because you wonder, you know, if the kids can't qualify on their own, can they do the work? I will tell you what I think should happen. By the way, the maximum penalty for each count of fraud for the parents, the people who paid the bribes, I think it's five years in a federal prison. For the people who took the bribes, it's a different sort of story. But what what, what should happen to these parents who bribed people to do these various things to get their kids in school? Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Jeff, I think this is a big deal both locally and nationally. These wealthy, sometimes famous people are supposed to be setting examples for success for the rest of the community and country. It sets a horrible example, and they should be outed nationally for it. Our children need to be raised to work hard for their success, and this is displaying the opposite. A lie is a lie. It should be punished. I'm not a judge. I don't know the specifics of the punishment, but they should be held accountable. These privileges are earned, not bought. I'd be embarrassed as a child or family member of such a person. I guess I I have a couple thoughts on this. First of all, you know, we we talk a lot about the out-of-control parents who, you know, go and attend the Little League baseball game or, uh, again, the Pop Warner football game or the basketball games or whatever and just fly into these rages about, you know, calls that referees are making and things like that. And, and we hear so much about it. And, again, it's it's one situation after another where you have, I think, the parents who, I mean, look at their kid and say, okay, this is going to be the next English Premier League soccer star or this is going to be the next Michael Jordan or LeBron James when the reality is, Probably, probably not. But it's that out of control parents. The most interesting aspect of this story to me is that you've got these parents who are so, so determined to see that, you know, their kid gets whatever, that they're going to shell out hundreds of thousands of dollars 
participating in some elaborate scheme to get the kid into USC instead of, I don't know, UCLA or whatever. I mean, it's it's not like these kids aren't going to be able to go to college and get a degree, but it's like, oh, my kid's got to go to USC, so I'm going to pay $500,000 in bribes to get my kid into USC. I mean, my guess is... My guess is if you walked into the dean of the film school at USC and said, I tell you what, I'm getting ready. I'm ready to write you a $500,000 check for a new wing to this particular building. My guess is they'd probably say, we'll welcome your kids there. So I, I just, but it's, it's the idea that you have these parents that are just so obsessed with getting their kid into a particular school that you'd engage in these complicated, convoluted criminal enterprises. You know, we're going to hire somebody who's going to, like, take the SAT test or, you know, or, or correct, quote unquote, the SAT test, you know, after the kid has taken it. All these things. It's just bizarre to me that the parents are this out of control. So what should happen? Well, I, I mean, I, I think this is is really easy. First of all, Obviously, for the people that were on the receiving end of the bribes, they've got to go to prison, and I think they should go to prison for a long time. I have made this argument, and I know some of you disagree with me, but I I just, I think white-collar crime is a big deal. I think stealing with a pen is perhaps just as bad as walking in and and stealing with a a squirt gun that looks like a pistol. And, And I think the problem is, if you don't, if you don't send people who are responsible for doing this to prison for lengthy periods of time, all you do is encourage other people to do the same. It's one of the reasons why I thought the Paul Manafort sentencing last week was outrageous. The guy commits, you know, he underreports. He commits millions of dollars in tax fraud, and he gets three and a half years essentially in, in prison. I mean, really? That sends a message to everybody else that's out there. Go ahead, try to commit tax fraud, and and most of the times you're probably not going to get caught. And even if you do get caught, well, it's not going to be that bad. So from a perspective of punishment and a deterrent, every one of these people who defrauded the universities or whatever by by cheating, they've got to go. So now what about the parents that, that paid the money? What about those who participate in the scheme? Well, the truth of the matter is that the the bribery scheme, the fraud, it doesn't happen unless you've got these parents who are willing to pay the money to participate and do this. And, And yeah, do they deserve to go to prison for as long as the people who were taking the money or the organizers? No. But you know what? I think prison sentences would, in fact, be warranted, and I guarantee you it would get the attention. Now, do I think it's going to happen? Well, well, no. Do I think Felicity Huffman's going to prison? Probably not. But you know what? Six months in a club fed probably wouldn't be the worst thing to try to discourage this type of stuff. I'm not going to hold my breath, but no, I don't think this is a victimless crime. I do think it's a big deal, and some of these people that were involved, um, again, this is kind of the Hollywood elite, um, some big political activists. Well, isn't it interesting that, you know, when, you know, now, you know, all these people who rage at white privilege and things like that, well, what's in there, when it's their kid, well, money is no object to try to manipulate the system to get what they want. Hypocrites and criminals. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
so very glad to have you with us. Hey, the Packers making news. Now, I admit I've been a little bit of skeptical about some of the things that have gone on in this offseason, but uh, they said that they were going to be a player and free agent, and they've been a player and free agent, signing two two edge rushers, both with the last name of Smith, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, signing a safety um, from the Chicago Bears and also signing a tackle guard for the lineman position from the Denver Broncos. This gives them a lot of freedom moving into the draft because obviously their needs, and they've got lots of needs, but edge rushers and the linemen, now they, they've kind of filled those needs to an extent, so maybe you can really concentrate on taking the, the best available player. You've picked up one safety, you've picked up two outside rushers, you've picked up a lineman, so now you don't have to draft as much as need. Interesting uh, what this means is, is, is moving forward, you have a number of the Packer players, and to me, the, the big question, you had Nick Perry, who they've now unfortunately been an underperformer. He's been hurt for a good chunk of his career. He's gone. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, Clay Matthews, who's been such a figure on the Packers, figure on the Packers uh, defense for years and years. Um, he's an unrestricted free agent. And the question is, given the money they've now spent on guys that play the position that Matthews played, does that mean he's going to come back? I think a lot of Packers fans would like to see him brought back, but I think they're only going to bring him back at the right price. And the question becomes, you know, will will Matthews be able to do better somewhere else? But it's definitely going to be a different look Packers team by the time they take the field for the first preseason games in August. And honestly, given, you know, the way the last two years have worked out, it needs to be a, a different looking Packers team. All right. There are all sorts of what in the years past would be described as crackpot proposals that are now getting mainstreamed by some of the people, particularly some of the, the left. All these different ideas that you know, most people would say, no, nah, I don't think so. Now you've got the, these very, very liberal people who are at least getting a lot of attention in the Democratic Party. It's interesting politically because, the, I mean, the truth of the matter is, while the very, very liberal Democrats are getting all the attention, the reason Democrats retook the House of Representatives is you had a bunch of moderate Democrats who won elections in swing seat, seats, like this Alexandria Ortez, Ortez, the AOC. She's, she's, while she's getting all this attention, she's not, she's from a, a very, very safe Democratic seat. I mean, it's not like she brought all sorts of people to, to the party. She comes from a safe Democratic seat. And there's a lot of moderate Democrats who are concerned that the party is taking this hard left turn, and that's not where their districts are. And so this is now the fight that's going on in the Democrat Party, which is, all right, do we really want to move this far left? Because, yeah, that's where some of our young firebrands are, and that's where the Bernie Sanders wing of the party is. But that's not where the seats they picked up were. That's not where the governorships they picked up for. It was center-left Democrats who won those seats and who, if the party is perceived of moving really, really far to the left, they're not going to win again. But there, so there's all these ideas that are being floated around. You've got the Green New Deal. You've got you know, Medicare for all. Let's get rid of all the private insurance companies, et cetera, et cetera. One of the ideas that is being floated around is the idea of changing the age to vote. 
Now, for the longest time, the voting age was 21. Then they dropped the voting age to 18. The proposal now, and I'm actually holding a couple columns written by some very, very left-wing writers. The proposal now that some Democrats are floating is that in federal elections, the voting age should be dropped to, wait for it, 16. And the argument is, hey, you have these young people that are going to be around for a long time. They're out marching to save the planet. They're out marching to try to you know, bring about gun control and all these things. So the idea is what we need to do, at least according to some, is drop the voting age from 18 to 16. One of the Congresswomen who introduced this, newcomer to Congress, this is what she says. Some have questioned the maturity of our youth. I don't. A 16-year-old in 2019 possesses a wisdom with a maturity that comes from 2019 challenges, hardships, and threats. A 16-year-old will bring with them the 2019 fears that their father's insulin will run out before the next paycheck. A 16-year-old will bring with them the 2019 hope to be the first in the family to earn a college degree. A 16-year-old will bring with them the 2019 lessons they learned picking up shifts, waiting tables to support their family while their mother was deployed. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, I don't know if it's a serious idea, but it is an idea that is being seriously promoted in some circles in American politics today, dropping the voting age from 18 until 16. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the argument for dropping the voting age from 21 to 18 Back when it happened was, and this is during the Vietnam War and things like that, and the argument was, well, if you're old enough to be drafted and served in the military, you're, you're certainly old enough to vote. All right, 16 years old and the vote. What do you think? I will share where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. I personally cannot wait till the snow goes away and gets a little bit warmer and I can ride my e-bike. I'm really excited. That's we got those over Labor Day and I want to get back on the get back on it. If you haven't checked it out, you should. Harry in Waukesha says you can't buy a car, but you can vote. Yes, that's what the proposal would be. Bill says, no, no, no. Many of them will vote yes on stupid things like the hop. The age group is not mature enough. All right. Deb in Franklin. Deb, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I just, 16 is too young. Um, I know a lot of mature 16-year-olds, and I also know a lot of, in the field I'm in, 16-year-olds that aren't more mature than a 12-year-old. I, I do. I have a texture. Um, Mike, Mike says, 16-year-olds are eating Tide Pods. Give me a chance. Give me exactly, a break. Exactly. And. I, I totally agree with, if you're 18 and you're being sent to die for your country, you, you have the right to vote for the people that are sending you there. Right. But right. 16 is, is, it's just too young. And not that that extra two years makes all that much difference in maturity. But it does make some. It does. Thank no, thanks for calling. No, no, yeah. you're right. See, you're, you're, look, you at, at 18, you are an adult in the eyes of the law. You can be held. You're held accountable if you commit crimes as an adult. You can get married. You can get tattoos. You can do everything except drink. And I'm the one that believes that the drinking age should be lowered to 18. You can sign contracts. You are an adult. At 16, you are not. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. 
All right, Jeff, I'll just make this short. Um, thanks for taking my call, sure. first of all. They're just not mature enough. I mean, I'm not going to go comparing them to like, like a church where they have elders who choose what happens to churches, but right. that's in the same principle. They are, they're wise. They know what, what's going on and they've done research on certain, you know, they get together right. and they just have the experience and the kids these days with social media, they are not really in tune with what's going on other than what is fun. For right. Them. What they see. Exactly. Thanks for call. And again, they're, they're not adults. There's, there's no skin in the game. Okay. Maybe if they've got a part time job, maybe they're paying some taxes and stuff like that, but they are not adults. To me, it's a bright line test. Now, I understand why you've got some liberal politicians here. You know, if we can get the 16 year olds, this gives us this huge extra voting block and we can get them to all turn out. No, no. If you want to be politically active, that's great. If you want to go march and argue for gun control or save the planet or save the whales or do anything you want, fine. You have a right to do it. But voting. That's something for when you become an adult, which is when you're 18. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa, we, we talked about the cockroaches yesterday, didn't we? We did not talk about the cockroaches. We did not talk about the cockroaches. Are you talking about cockroaches at, downtown? At Rock Bottom Blue. Yeah. We did not discuss that. Okay, I maybe, all right, if... The story what? Okay, Rock Bottom Brewery in Plankington. Um, it was. This is a rare step. It, the, the Board of Health doesn't come in and close places very often, but on Thursday, apparently they did this inspection and they found a massive cockroach infesta- infestation at this bar slash restaurant. I mean, in the kitchen, in the areas where they stored food massive cockroach yeah, we, infestation. We were reporting that they were live and dead ones. Live now. and dead live ones, and dead, yeah. yeah. Live and dead ones. All right, so they, the Board of Health closes the place down because there's a cockroach infestation. They were going to open up on Friday, and that didn't happen. And so now they've been given the all clear, and apparently they're opening up today. You know, it's weird. I, I don't know that much about cockroach infestations. but <laughs> That's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> Is this a weird time of year to have an infestation? I always think of bugs as summertime, springtime, not winter. I don't I- I, I mean, maybe cockroaches, they just don't die. I, I, well, I, no, right, they don't. You know what I mean, I mean? I, they're I like, know. yeah, after after like nuclear attacks, there's going to be Hostess <laughs> Twinkies and there's going to be cockroaches. cockroaches yeah. Those are the only two things left. All right, So, but here's, here's the question I want to put to you. All right, there are... All right, let me, let me back into this. Did you, ever, I, did you ever watch the old show Restaurant Impossible? Yes. Okay, you mm-hmm. know, Restaurant Impossible, mm-hmm. I was on like Food Network or something like that, but it was one of these things where celebrity chef Robert Irvine. Oh, yeah, the, would, the Australian would, guy. Right, yeah. would move into, they'd, they'd find these, these failing restaurants, and then what they'd do is they, they'd come in and he'd redesign the menu, and they had a guy that, they, they'd have, you know, a guy, a woman that would come in, typically it was a woman, and do the redesign, and then they'd have this guy that would build it out, and they'd be there for a week, and then they, they turned out. I, I used to, I thought. I enjoy it, that. I did. I yeah. thought it got old, you know, because it was kind of the same show over and over again. It was again. very systematic. They would do the same things over and over and over right. again. Right. And then over the years, it kind of morphed into, 
I, I thought it was interesting to see the ideas as to how they would recreate the restaurant. And then it, it became more of a, well, the owner screwed up, and here we're going to like be, be giving them counseling as to how they could do it. It was like but, that one bar rescue. Did you ever right, watch that one? It's a similar same sort of situation. Thing, right? yeah. I, they're kind of, but it, it, it gets old. It's kind of the same show after a while. But anyhow, one of the things that when I was watching Restaurant Impossible, there were all sorts of reasons why some of these restaurants were failing, like bad food and, you know, the, the drunk owner and all this type. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, all these different, right, all these different things. Yeah. But, but about every third or fourth show, they would come in and the restaurant would be filthy. Mm. I mean, you just, it was just like gross. And I, I, then they, the Robert Irvine would scream at the people and then they show <laughs> yeah. this cleaning thing. But I, I could always remember thinking when I would watch this, I don't care what they do with it afterwards. Once I've seen this place and I knew how filthy the owners let it get, I would never go to that place. Because if you let it get that way, well, before the TV crews moved in, who knows what it's going to look like a month after the TV crews leave. I, I just, I wouldn't go. That's a good point, yeah. Which is a long way around the fact, and and I, I, I've probably been to this place, and I don't wish it any ill, but when I hear a restaurant is closed, be, or a bar is closed because of cockroach infestation, live and dead, there's all sorts of places I can go to get a beer, a glass of bourbon, and a burger. There's all sorts of places, and, and maybe other places have cockroaches that I don't know about, but when I hear... A place is closed because there's live and dead cockroaches. I can't imagine going back. In this case, ignorance is bliss, Jeff. If you <laughs> yeah. don't know they're there, right. you're good. Right, but you and, and, and right, there maybe there's other places right. like that. There undoubtedly mm-hmm. are, but I I don't know. I'm and part of it I think comes from my wife who you know worked her entire life in the restaurant industry, and she's just a a, a nut in a good way for cleanliness. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll walk into places and you know she'll. You know, one of the things, like, if, if she'll go to the ladies' room or something and the bathrooms are bad. That's then, huge. Right. Then, then, mm-hmm. But she's like, well, look, if they're letting the public bathrooms get like this, there is a problem somewhere else. I mean, she's just, she's obsessed with cleanliness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I don't mean, I don't mean Not over, overly, but no, right, I know. Not, just not, because she works white, in the business. Right. But she knows, okay, this is, you know, you, you got to. You got to keep the places clean. You know, you have to do that. You have to have the floors mopped. And well, stuff and I think like women that. in particular, we go into the bathroom thinking we want to clean. We want to, you know. But that's a good point. If that's not looking good, right? What's the rest? But I was actually saying to her this morning. I was telling her this cockroach story, and I said, "Would you ever go to a place like this?" And she just looked at me with that look that as I've told the you look, before, yes. that look that you learned from your mother's, <laughs> like I kidding? married a moron. You know, she said, she said cockroaches. Place closed down. Absolutely no way. Would you go back to a place that was closed down because of cockroaches? Would I? Yeah. Oh, I probably would. I probably would. Grew? If I knew the Grew. health inspection went through and it was okay again. I, because I don't know how, how often they do those inspections. I would assume quite frequently. But Grew, Grew says no way. You'd have to really love the place, right? I mean, it'd have to be something special about that place. All right, one segment, 414-799-1620. And I mean, I don't necessarily want to talk about this particular place, but I I will say this. When I hear a, a restaurant is closed by the health department because of, in this case, a cockroach infestation. Well, it does make you question. Fair or unfair, I mean, it seems to me this is almost like a, a a business killer because I just can't see going going to 
a place like that. And maybe that's just unfair, but that's always been my reaction when I'd watch, like, for example, like I said, the Restaurant Impossible things, and you'd come in and you'd see the place who had just been allowed to become filthy, and it doesn't just happen overnight. I just, I would never go back. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, is that being unfair to restaurants or bars or whatever? A situation gets so bad because of something or another that they have to close it down. All right, I personally, and again, I'm not telling people to go or not go. I just can't see patronizing a place where you've had problems like that, rodent droppings cockroaches you know there's all sorts of places like i say i can go to get a beer and a burger 414-799-1620 all right is this is something like this a disqualifier when you find a, a restaurant in particular has this problem we discuss next this is jeff wagner back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner and again I, I don't mean to pick on this particular restaurant but but I, I, I just always had this reaction. It was like I was saying earlier when I was watching like the restaurant fix-it shows on TV and stuff. And, and you'd see these things where there was giant bug infestations and all. And, and my reaction was always, I don't care if they clean it up. I don't care what they do. You know, if you've allowed it to get to that point, I, I'm just I'm not going back there. I, you know, that's but that's that's just me. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Jim. What do you think? I'm not going there. I'm reminding the place right now to hit pack roaches, you know. And you take the woodwork off, there's all these little black stinky droppings. There's there's dead cockroaches. Every place you do something, there are signs that they were there. So you're saying once you you have them, it's almost impossible to get rid of them. Um, You can't get rid of them, but there's there's residue. Yeah. There's there's little droppings. There's dead ones. You know. You know. Uh, I think I I I don't know. <laughs> I I really you know I I I just don't I I don't know and I don't want to know. I mean I feel bad for these restaurants, but at the same time. Um, you, you wonder, like when you hear about a restaurant where there's been an ongoing infestation, you wonder about how long it, it how long it had been going on. I, I'm sorry, there's just, and look, this, this might be unfair, it is just a personal reaction that I end up having. Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Danny. The only way to get rid of cockroaches, once you've had them here in Wisconsin, well, heck, just about anywhere, is to burn down your, your place and start over. Well, I don't know. The only reason I say that is because, okay, I've lived here most of my life. When I moved down to Nashville, I realized that there were cockroaches out there no matter what you did. Yep. If you left a plate out overnight, you were in danger of getting them. Yep. Here, here because of the cold weather, you have to be almost, you almost have to try to get them here. Well, I don't know. I think part of it, building. yeah, well, thanks. I don't know about that. I mean, I think part of it depends on, where the building is and, and issues like that. And, and, and maybe it's just something to deal with. And I guess one of the things that scares me about this story is, is I wonder, is, is this more prevalent than we end up knowing about? I mean, I, I don't want to think about that. Um, let's talk to Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. So, and I don't want to gross everyone out here, but <laughs> downtown Milwaukee is laid out on top of the Wisconsin Electric steam lines. Right. And 
Um, the sea mines are actually full of cockroaches and other vermin. Um, millions of dollars are spent by downtown hotels, restaurants, other establishments in controlling the roach infestation that is just part of downtown. Um, unfortunately, every now and then, all of those control methods push the roaches out into one building. And in this case, it pushed it out into the rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, I mean, uh, but, but, but of course, it had to have been going, it had to have been going on for a while. I will tell you that you, as, as, if you're a restaurant owner, if you're a hotel owner in downtown Milwaukee, you are cleaning up after the roaches every day. Mm-hmm. It, so you're it, telling me this is a, this is more widespread than we want to think. It is, and and you do your best to keep things clean. You do your best to keep things under control, but everyone doing the same controls pushes those roaches out in one building every year. But I guess the problem is. It, it this it doesn't sound like to me that okay the the board of health just suddenly walks in one day and boom this is what they find it, it doesn't sound like that could have been the day that the roaches all decide that they're going to arrive so it, would it be fair to say this is probably an ongoing issue it's it's you know typically you you only have a couple that that rear their ugly right. heads a day you know and, and right. you just take care of it but I mean Batsner's down there every day with five or six service technicians spraying various buildings in downtown. Well, everyone downtown does their best to control the roaches that are downtown. I, and I'm, and I'm sure they do. Don't, don't get me wrong. Look, I, I love, I'm not saying don't go downtown to eat. Uh, And I, I, I love downtown. I patronize a lot of the restaurants downtown on a regular basis. And again, I, I'm fully willing to acknowledge that maybe, maybe this is unfair, I'm just telling you my reaction and is when I hear that a particular place has had to have been closed by the Board of Health because of a cockroach infestation in these various areas, not just like one or two, but a cockroach infestation, it's it's tough for me to say I, I want to go back to any particular place. And, and maybe, again, maybe that's unfair. Maybe it's this kind of out-of-control thing. Maybe there's stuff that goes on, and this is you know an ongoing thing in kitchens all around. I, I want to think not, but maybe I'm wrong. Let's talk to Tim in Kenosha. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I myself would not want to frequent that restaurant again uh, if there was that bad of a cockroach infestation. Like you said, you have to see it way before it gets that bad. And I just feel if the ownership kind of turns their head and doesn't yeah. actually take action, that's, that's on them. And pl- what else is there that they're not taking care of? Well, see, that's, you know, you know it, it, you, the point you make, Tim, is how I always felt when I was watching these Restaurant Impossible shows, where if, if I mean, look, I, I understand there's some things that are beyond that, that might be beyond your control. Okay, maybe, you know, your business is slumping a little bit, so you don't have the money to make, you know, big improvements in the, the interior design. So maybe your place looks dated. But but cleanliness is cleanliness. And I guess I, I'd look at some of these shows, and you'd see how dirty some of these places were allowed to be. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's 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 on that's on whoever is running the place to let it get dirty like that. And, and no, if they I do it before... You. 
you know, what's to say? And again, again, it might just be unfair, but I hear cockroaches and I'm thinking, okay, well, somebody had to be aware before the Board of Health walked in that, that there wasn't one or two. There's lots of cockroaches. Oh, especially when you start walking through the kitchen and all you do is hear little things pop underneath <laughs> your feet, you know? Well, I don't know. If it, I don't know. They, they, sir, I mean, in fairness, I don't know if it was that bad or not. I told this story yesterday. I'll tell it really, really quickly in case you weren't listening during the segment. Very close friend of mine who passed away a couple of years ago after he got out of college, went to Northwestern. He moved to New York. He had a little crummy apartment that he paid a fortune for in Greenwich Village. I was staying there with him one weekend. And, I, you know, the bathroom... It was like a, a, a tiny, it was like a studio is what it really was. But the bathroom, you had to walk through the kitchen on. I turn on the light in the middle of the night because I'm heading to the bathroom. And, oh, God, there's all these cockroaches on the floor. And they all scurry. And it just freaked me out. I went, John, there's cockroaches all over. To which he says, well, yes, because in New York, all the places have cockroaches because um, even the new buildings, people move from the old buildings that have cockroaches and they bring the boxes and it brings them into the new building. He said, and by the way, Jeff, you should really calm down because in New York, if a place doesn't have cockroaches, it has something else that's either eating or scaring off the cockroaches and you don't want any part of that. Well, again, I, I don't mean to be the death knell for this business. It's, it's back open again. It's cleared to reopen. I just, I mean, like I say, this is just one person's reaction, and maybe it's a message going out to to restaurant owners, and I understand cleanliness is an issue, but when I hear cockroach infestation closing down the business temporarily, I'm like, okay, I'd, I'd have to, you better have something really good on the menu to get me back, just saying. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 37 degrees outside, so very glad to have you with us. All right, there is a new study out that deals with the Mitchell Park domes. Now, I think everybody knows the, the domes. They are they are an institution, you know, so you've got the, the, the domes, which, of course, are the three three domes that are, you know, a part of Milwaukee's fabric. They're a great place to go in the winter. They were built in the 60s using 1960 technology. So if anybody, for example, if you've ever if you ever lived in or bought a house that had like a sunroom that was built in the 60s or the 70s, you know, it's single pane glass. It's just it's outmoded technology. And it's unfortunately what happens is sometimes you have buildings Sometimes you have buildings that are going to last hundreds of years, and other times you have structures that are built that have a, a useful life. You know, maybe you can get 20 years out of them. Maybe you can get 30 years out of them. Maybe you can get 40 years out of them. Well, the Mitchell Park Domes were constructed in the 60s using 1960 technology, and they are pretty much at the end of their useful life. That is just the reality. You had the story a couple years ago where you had chunks of concrete that were starting to fall. Um they are clearly a wonderful thing for Milwaukee, but the estimates are that it's going to take about $30 million, $30 million just to do basic repairs on the domes. If you wanted to expand the domes to make them more of an attraction, and instead of just doing the routine maintenance, really do some of the stuff that might bring them into, you know, 2019, you'd be looking at, depending on what the idea is, 
spending 50 million to perhaps 100 million. But 30 million is really kind of the basics of what you have to have. Now, did I mention that we have an enormous amount of demands, particularly in Milwaukee County, for, for resources? You've got the domes. You've got the safety building, which has to be it's got to come down, and it's got to come down sometime relatively soon because it has reached the end of its useful, useful life, and it, it's pretty much of a hazard now. I don't know how much more functional stuff they're going to be able to get out of it. You have the issue with the museum. You have the that wants to move. You have the parks that have huge demands. And as we discussed on this program yesterday, the appetite for – a countywide sales tax or some other form of tax to fund these cultural things, it's it's pretty much non-existent. Now, you know, but so now you're faced with the Mitchell Park Domes. Story in the Journal Sentinel today, apparently there is this report that was submitted by Gallagher Museum Services. And, you know, they're connected in part with trying to figure out what to do with the museum. They recommended knocking down the domes, just leveling the domes, and then building a 222,000-square-foot structure to house both the public museum and the horticultural exhibits on the footprint of the domes, linking into the current greenhouse. And they're saying, hey, what we could do is let's spend $300 million for that. $300 $300 million. Now, of course, the question becomes, where do we think that $300 million is going to come from? And it brings back the, the fundamental question that you start with about having to prioritize things when it comes to limited public spending. All these different types of, of things are, are great, and they contribute to the vibrancy that is living in southeastern Wisconsin. At the same time, there are limits on on what you can do. Can you have the world-class zoo with all the improvements that you want? And can you have the art museum? And can you have the public museum? And can you have the quality of parks that we have? And can you have the domes? Can you do that all? Can you support them all without massive tax increases? So this brings us back to the conversation about the, the domes. I think you can make a strong argument that when you compare the popularity and the use of various attractions, whether it's the public museum or the art museum or the zoo, all right, compared to the domes, I think you can make a strong argument that more people use those other things than use the domes. And, I I mean, I hate to come across sounding like I I don't like the domes. I, I have been to the Mitchell Park Domes on multiple occasions in all the decades that I have lived here. But I'll tell you. I, I don't go regularly. My guess is you don't go regularly. I know that there might be some people who do, and I know that the domes are a good thing, but the question becomes, can we, given all the other needs that we have, spend 30 or 50 or $100 million to keep the domes going? And as far as locating the museum and the domes together for $300 million, well, I, I think that's a non-starter. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How important are the domes to this community? Are they more? And if you accept my premise that you got to make choices and you can't do it all, 
where do the domes come down in the priority list? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, the last time I was at the domes, they, they were nice. I, I think it's great to go to in the winter, but I haven't been in years. My guess is most people haven't been in years. And if you've got to decide, would you rather have the public museum or would you rather have the zoo or would you rather have the domes, I, I got to believe that the domes probably come in, well, towards the bottom. 414-799-1620. Let's talk about it. What needs to be the future of the Mitchell Park domes? If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> This is Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Unfortunately, it's not cost-effective for Milwaukee to fix the domes or to rebuild. Maybe they could sell it to a private company and then have them run it, but it's a burden on Milwaukee, and it is unfortunately just not worth it. Justin texts, tear down the domes, sell the land, build a new museum with horticultural aspects on the lakefront, creating a museum district like in other cities with lots of private fundraising campaigns. Pete in Milwaukee. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, this is Keith. Yes, sir. What do you think? Hey, Jeff. Um, kind of interesting topic, topic for me. Um, I was married at the Dome. My sister was married at the Dome. So it was a beautiful wedding. I still get compliments on the wedding, and the turnout was spectacular. So I would hate to see them go, but at that price tag, it's understandable. It's, 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 I, mm-hmm. I can see it's hard being putting $30 million into the Domes and. I don't even think it'll generate that type of money over 10 years or so. Pete, let me ask you this. How long ago were you married? Um, 12 years. Oh, congratulations. And they said it wouldn't last, huh? Uh, you know, um, I heard that, but, you know, when you went again, it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so you, you were married at the Domes 12 years ago. How many times would you say you have been back to the Domes in those 12 years? <laughs> you got me here. You got me here. Maybe twice. The one time I didn't even go in, I just put it to show the kids where their mom and dad got married. Okay, okay. Well, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot, but I, okay, th- I appreciate the call. Thanks for the call. See, I, th- that's Pete's reaction, and I, don't, I really don't mean to put him on the spot, but that's... That's what people say. Now, look, I understand that there's some folks who who go there on a regular basis, but that's a, a very, very small number of people. Most people, I think, use them like pizza. Hey, I got married. I got married there 12 years ago. It was great. It was this wonderful setting. We had all sorts of people. Everybody enjoyed it. God bless you. I, I, I get that. But, you know, he's been back twice in 12 years and once he didn't go in it was just to pull into the parking lot and say this is this is where mom and dad got married and i appreciate his candor but see that that's i think the reality of what goes on there it's it's a wonderful exhibit not knocking this but what ends up happening is things run their course and you know we've talked about other milwaukee institutions that have run their course you had the circus parade which was a huge deal 20 or 25 years ago. People, you would have thousands of people. The operators always kind of inflated how many people showed up. But you would clearly have thousands and thousands of people that would flock to downtown Milwaukee to watch the circus parade. And it was a really cool thing. But then 
people got tired of it and people stopped coming and eventually it just died. Same thing was true with the golf tournament we had. I, I still call it the GMO, the Greater Milwaukee Open. At the end, I think it was the U.S. Bank Open. But it was really, really cool for a while and then it just kind of people got bored with it. That is unfortunately what happens with various things. And I think that's where you are with, with the domes. And it being especially when you're talking about this kind of, of money. If the question was, gee, the domes don't need a lot of maintenance. You know, can we continue to operate them, and are they worth an infusion of taxpayer money to keep them open? Well, oh, okay, that, that's one question, but that's not where we are now. You know, we're talking about $30 million just to maintain a, a basic level of maintenance. Now, does the idea of move taking taking a concept of the domes and trying to do something with it, maybe that makes sense. For example, um, I think the zoo property, you know, is ideally equipped for, you know, okay, maybe building kind of a mini version, not the domes, but some sort of exhibit kind of like that, that, that may be reminiscent of that. And my guess is you could do it for a lot less than the dough they're talking about. Uh, the museum, all right, locating the museum on that area. I actually like the idea that some of our texters had about putting it at the lakefront better. But but regardless, all right, you move the museum there, then you try to recreate the domes, $300 million. My, my question is, explain to me where that $300 million is going to come from, especially given all the, the pressing needs that you have. The reality is, and this goes back 20 years, ever since the Milwaukee County pension scandal, Milwaukee County is... If not broke, it's pretty darn close to broke, and it's going to be like that for the foreseeable future. So unless you can sell residents of Milwaukee County on massive, and I mean capital M massive, increases in taxes to support all these different cultural institutions, what's going to happen is you're going to have to pick and choose. And nobody likes to pick and choose. You don't like to pick and choose in your own life. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when your kids come down and it's Christmas time, and your kids give you a wish list, they want to have Santa bring them 12 different things, you know, in a perfect world, you'd get all 12 things for your kids because you love them and you want them to be happy. But my guess is, you know, for most people, you got to pick and choose. And it can't be 12. It's got to be, you know, two or three. So you figure, what are the things that the kids need the most? What are the things the kids are going to get the most fun out of? What do they want the most? And that's what we're going through in Milwaukee County now. The idea is, okay, we're, we can't sell off public property, can't sell off any part. Land. So now what we have to do is we have to figure out how can we maintain the parks like we want it. And by the way, again, the big elephant in the room when it comes to county expenditures is the safety building. Courthouses are not glitzy. I understand all that. But the safety building is a flat out OSHA hazard. And that's I think got to be one of the top priorities that are out there. And so far, you know, nobody has any idea. Nobody has any idea as to how they're going to deal with it. So um, the latest idea is let's level the domes and then like relocate them with the museum. I'm okay with that as far as it goes. But if you're talking about $300 million in public money to do it, um, I think that's a tough sell. I want to talk about, just before we bring in John McCure, a follow-up on something I mentioned just the other day. There, it, it, of course, last, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, the start of Lent. 
Last time I had anything sweet to eat, I've given. I'm, I'm still okay. I've got through that. No, no more, no more sweets, no more donuts, no more cake, no more candy, no more pie. I'm doing okay. But you know, Ash Wednesday is a very, very holy day for people of, of the Christian faith. And one of the things that some people do is they will go to church and they will have ashes placed on their forehead by the priest or or the minister. And that has a particular significance. I told you about this story about what happened last week. This kid, and this is in Salt Lake City, Utah. And, of course, the vast population of, of Utah is Mormon. But the kid shows up in public school, and he happens to be Catholic. And he's got the, cash, uh, he's got the ashes on his forehead. And the teacher tells him, well, well go wash Go wash these. Go wash that off. I, that's dirt. And the child tries to explain. Well, it's not dirt. I just came from church, and these are ashes. The teacher had apparently never heard of Ash Wednesday, and um, ends up sending the kid, you know, to the principal's office because you know he's refused her demands to you know wash the ashes off, which is something that you you just don't do. She's now been placed on administrative leave, and apparently her story is. A student came into my classroom with what appeared to be dirt on his forehead. I gave him a wet wipe to clean it off. I had no idea it was a religious symbol. All right. Uh, the kid says he tried to explain to the teacher why he had ashes on the forehead before being forced to wipe it off. Um, he said, I told her what it was, and she said, it's not appropriate in the school Go wipe it off. And then she gave me a disinfective wipe and made me wipe it off. All right. I I guess there's a lot of different avenues you can go there. I guess number one is how can you be a public school teacher in America, regardless of whether it's Salt Lake City, Utah, or Biloxi, Mississippi, and be so ignorant that you do not understand in the start of Lent is Ash Wednesday, and that certain people of faith show up with the ashes on their forehead. I mean, that to me is the scariest thing. Now, it sounds like that the teacher legitimately did not know, didn't want to hear from the kid, and you know that raises other issues as well. But how can you be so ignorant to not realize that, you know, it, it's Lent, it's Ash Wednesday? In any event, she's on administrative leave right now. I... Do I think she should be fired? No. But I guess it's just scary to me that in America you have people who are teaching children who are, again, just that the teachers could be so ignorant of what I think is sort of a mainstream type of thing that, you know, even if you do not believe, a lot of people do believe and they show up at work or they show up at school with ashes on their forehead on Ash Wednesday. We'll find out what John and Melissa have on their show in just a minute. Stick around. It's 254.